So last week in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, Mayor David Holt met with a handful of reporters, me included, and discussed the city's proposal for a new downtown arena that would be home to the Thunder. If you've been paying attention to the news, you probably know the basics, right? An arena estimated at $900 million or more, if you know anything about construction, probably more, paid for mostly by a one-cent sales tax in OKC. That's not a new sales tax. It's one that's been around for years, various forms connected to the city's maps projects and some initiatives kind of in between those. And there would be some other sources of money. There's $70 million currently earmarked for upgrades to the Paycom Center, the Thunder's current home. Um, that would instead shift toward construction of a new building. And the Thunder's owners have pledged $50 million, $50 million, so about 5% of the total cost. Maybe more importantly, they've agreed to a plan that would keep them in the arena for 25 years. Now, if you talk to economists, and that's been part of my week this week, they'll tell you that the data says taxpayers never get a good return on their investment when it comes to financing an arena. But they'll concede that there are quality of life benefits, like entertainment options, a sense of civic pride that are hard to put a price on. And if you ask Holt, he'll tell you this is the cost of doing business in the NBA, particularly in a market like Oklahoma City. So what do we make of a plan that asks the city to pay for a new Thunder Arena? And is there a real, is there a real risk that Oklahoma City loses this team if it doesn't? We're talking about that today with my sellout crowd colleague, Jenny Carlson. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. So, Jenny, welcome in. Thank you, Brett. It's good to talk about the arena. Lots going on. I know. It's good to talk to you on a podcast again. It's been a few years since that happened, I would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is a good topic to start with. I'm happy to do it. Absolutely. So, a lot going on with this stuff. And I think the best place to start is just last week, the city puts out this this uh, plan. They send it to the media. Uh, and it lays out what I just laid out, how they're going to pay for this. Um, when they'd like to open it, 2029. Doesn't go into location. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but the primary thing is it would keep the thunder for 25 years, and here's how we're going to pay for it. And so when you read that document, what was kind of your initial reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we didn't know what the total bill would be. And as you mentioned earlier, $900 million is the minimum. And because we, again, construction costs always seem to go up, not down, the likelihood of this approaching a billion dollars is pretty high. And quite honestly, that's kind of a ballpark price tag for a lot of arenas nowadays. So that was one curiosity. What what number would they come out with? But to me, that means they're going to do this right. I mean, the, the Paycom Center, we should celebrate Paycom Center because for the price that Oklahoma City has paid for that arena, it has gotten us two NBA teams. So let's celebrate the economy of Paycom. But then let's go ahead and, and realize that this is the price tag for a true NBA arena. So um, I was actually glad to see that they're not trying to undercut or do some sort of bargain basement price. Um, but I also think the decision, which Mayor Holt alluded to this earlier in the summer, the decision to extend the MAPS tax, which we've had, like you said, we've essentially had in per pepper, uh, perpetuity now yeah. for decades, really, I think people are used to this tax. You know, it's not like they're asking uh, somebody to shave a bunch of money off their budget to pay for this arena. It's going to be that 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 sales tax that continues to carry over. So a lot to like. I know some people will say not enough given by the Thunder owners, um, some other things that I'm sure we'll talk about. But I thought all in all, this was a plan that a lot of people could get behind and really be positive about. 
Yeah, there's a semantic argument over whether this is a tax increase. The city can say it's not. Mayor Holt can say it's not a tax increase. This won't change. Essentially, the current one cent sales tax will expire. I think it's 2028. I should probably know that. Um, and this one will kick in. This would happen right on the heels of that one. And that's the way it's always kind of been. As you mentioned, it's been a, a piece of the maps projects for a long time. And as Mayor Holt said last week, not only that, but there are little uh, sort of side projects in between the maps and they've always kind of filled in there too. So they had a safer streets initiative that that was part of and it just it just stays. So I think the expectation is the city's probably going to vote to pay for this. It goes in front of the city council on September 26th, assuming they approve it. And there's no reason to think they won't. It would go to a vote of, you know, city taxpayers on December 12th. And I think there's every reason to think that they're going to do this because they've always done it. They've done it for the things that they want. Now, I was interested, and I know you've done a little bit of this too in the last week. I didn't have a ton of context when I got that document. When we talked to uh, Mayor Holt about it last week, um, there have been a lot of arenas built in the past you know, 10 or 15 years. And this would put the thunder on the low end in terms of what they're contributing. Um, and I, I wonder how that strikes you that if you see that the, the Bucks, for example, a, a team that was, I think, in a real position where it could leave Milwaukee without a new arena, did put up significantly more and a significantly higher percentage of the cost of that arena. Yeah, for sure. And Milwaukee is one I dug a little bit deeper into. And obviously, we're not there, so we don't know all the ins and outs. But that was a situation, you're right, where I think a lot of people in Milwaukee were very worried, including the owners of the Bucks, yeah. that that they might have to go and as I mentioned earlier, you know, this this tax that's been proposed for this deal will be a continuation tax. They actually took money out of the state's education budget to help pay for that new arena in Milwaukee. So to kind of balance out taking this money from the state, I think the owners felt like they really almost had to do something pretty big um, to, you know, balance out the the real pinch they were putting their, their taxpayers. And so not to say that, you know, Oklahoma city taxpayers are paying nothing, but the maps tax, the way it's set up, the way I understand it to be set up, it's not just people who live in Oklahoma city, own a house here, rent a house here, whatever. It's people who come into the city who buy things, you know? So this is a tax that isn't just being paid by Oklahoma city residents. It's being paid by anybody who comes here. So it's not necessarily just all on, uh, you know, the, the property owners in Oklahoma city. So I think, you know, it's it's a little bit different. So I think you're you're right, though, Brad. I mean, I think some people would say, where's more money? You know, we want at least 10 percent. We want 20 percent. And, you know, that's not the reality here. It's not there's I think you have to look at every situation a little differently. You, t you talk about ownership or, you know, what does the what does the team get out of the deal? This is still a city owned facility, still a city run facility. So in terms of the Thunder having you know, ultimate sway or ultimate say, obviously they're going to hold open the dates for the games, for playoffs, those sorts of things. But um, I think it gives the city some flexibility to be able to say, here are the concerts we want to bring in. Here are the other things we want to bring in. Um, so, yeah, so it's, I understand that, yeah, it'd be great if the Thunder owners gave more, but truthfully, I didn't think there was probably much a chance they gave more than 10%. And you and I have talked a little bit about this, Brett, and I thought you made a great analogy about a smaller market like Oklahoma City as it relates to this arena deal. Yeah, I mean, you think all the time people would say, like, when you go out and sign a guy like 
Patrick Patterson. Somebody would say, well, you might have had to pay him a little more than he would have gotten somewhere else. Um, you know, this happened before when New Orleans gets a free agent signing and maybe they beat somebody out. It's very common that you just have to overpay a little. And I don't think this is not the same. We're talking about a couple of million dollars more versus, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions more. But I think the idea that you're in a smaller market and not only that, but that there, there are, there are sharks in the water, so to speak. I mean, what David Holt said is, uh, for people who don't know, I think most people do, the Thunder's lease with the city is done. It expired. So they signed a three-year extension of that lease. In 2026, as David Holt will happily tell you, not happily, he'll, he'll readily tell you, quickly tell you, nothing is binding the Thunder here. There's no reason for them, there's no contractual reason for them to stay. And so what you have is you have Seattle, which has now the equivalent of a billion dollar arena after the renovations it made to uh, get an NHL team. Funny to bring them into this discussion, but they're there, Seattle. Uh, Las Vegas is going to build an arena like this. You have markets that would like the NBA that could approach the Thunder in three years and say, you don't have to pay anything for an arena. Forget $50 million versus $150. We'll give it to you for nothing. Walk right in. Let us have a team. Let us have Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren to start a new franchise with in our city. You don't have to pay a dime. And so I do think that factors in here. And whether that's fair or not, I think it is a fact of doing business in the league in a small market. The Lakers aren't leaving. You know, like you're going to work with the Lakers if they decide they need something new. Um, you know, the Clippers did leave. They left the market because it was so hard to schedule there, but they're staying in Los Angeles. It's not you're not going to raid L.A. and steal a team. But the idea that 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 the Sharks would be circling here, I don't think is far fetched at all. Well, and I think a lot of people in, in Oklahoma City, they see the ownership group and the way it's been structured. And it has been structured in a way to really kind of bind the thunder to Oklahoma. I mean, I think that that was done purposefully, not just one or two owners. You've got a group of owners with different percentages. And so it really binds the team and the ownership group together. But I, you know, I'm definitely not naive enough to think that um, because of the value of NBA teams and what they're selling for when they do sell. If, if an owner, you know, if some, if an outside entity came to that ownership group and said, we're going to pay you, you know, what, what you paid for the team, what, what is it, Brad, about 350 about million? Three, or 300, so? I think it was 345. That's off the top of my head, but it's in that ballpark. So let's say they came in and, and offered something five times that, I mean, yes, these are Oklahoma, natives, a lot of them very tied into the state. But if you told them they could get five times on their investment in a heartbeat, I mean, and and like you said, walk into a ready-made arena, I mean, that's going to be hard for them to turn down, even very civic-minded uh, owners like these are. I, I don't think they're looking to move. I, I, don't, I don't think that for a second, but I also know that if they're presented with that kind of opportunity and that's going to be hard to turn down. So I don't, I I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind that, you know, I don't think Oklahoma city wants to play with fire on this because right. it would certainly, the phone would start ringing as soon as the election results went final. And it was assured that Oklahoma city was not building the thunder, a new arena, uh, you know, not agreeing to do that right now the phone would start ringing. There's zero doubt in my mind about that. Right. There's a devil's advocate stance here. I know some people will say, 
Well, the, the, what you just said about what they paid for the team versus what it's worth now, and it's a billion dollars to get in the door on an NBA discussion. So if an ownership group wanted to come in, they're not coming in at less than a billion, most likely. Um, some people would say that's the reason why these, these owners should give more. They've made such an enormous profit off of this that they should give that profit back uh, toward this arena if they want it. And I do understand that line of thinking. It makes perfect sense to me. I understand. It is not necessarily the reality of the situation because if you just think about your own life and somebody says, uh, you can pay $50 or $150, you're probably going to pay the $50. Um, the other side of that, as Mayor Holt has pointed out several times, Oklahoma City has built several downtown arenas, nothing quite to this scale, although you know the then Ford Center was a big deal when they built it and in an effort to draw a team, probably an NHL team. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but they've done it without any money from a team because they've never had a team. So just the $50 million, it may not seem like a lot compared to what the Bucks ownership paid or the Kings ownership or the Rockets in the early 2000s when they kind of flirted with leaving. But it's money the city's never had to work with. Um, and the city has this ready-made sort of sales tax to pay for a project like this. And so I think from his perspective, it seems great. You know, like, hey, it's 50 million. It's 50 million we wouldn't have had otherwise. No, I agree with that. And like I said earlier, my expectation when uh, when Mayor Holt over the summer at his State of the City address mentioned that the Thunder ownership group was was interested and was going to contribute something, I I don't know if I ever thought a a hundred million dollar uh, uh, part in this was likely. I thought it would be south of a hundred million. So. Um, I didn't know how far south. I didn't know if they would try to get to a 10% level, you know, with this $900 million price tag, you know, whatever that was, we weren't sure what that number would be, but would they try to get to say 90 million, say they're paying 10%. They obviously did not get to that point. That might be a number that if you got to 10%, people would say, okay. But I think that, you know, what you said is right. The fact that you've got the Thunder ownership being willing to pay something, You've got some leftover MAPS money that you're not going to invest in the arena currently. They've already started to set that aside and say, you know, we're going to nest egg this. So they're going to have something like 70 million that they're not going to spend in improvements on the current arena. So I think that it, it's not like Oklahoma City is starting from zero. And I know we're going to talk about this as well, Brett, the where of all this. If they pick a plot of land that the city already owns, I know there are, are, are people that are economists that would say, it's not free because you're using it for something and you're right. not using it for something else, but it's still downtown property that Oklahoma city is not going to have to shell out money for. And that doesn't, that doesn't change. There's, there's, they would have to pay money to get some other plots of land downtown. If they use one of the uh, plot of land that's already theirs, that's money that they don't have to put out to get that land. Yeah. And economists talk about that quite a lot, uh, as I'm learning this week, that if you do have to buy some plot of land, you've also not only that you've. So let's say they could build on the parking lot across the street. That may not be the location. To be clear, what David Holt says about locations is it'll be downtown. That's important to this city. We don't have a lot of sprawl here. So you're not you're not putting an arena in Edmond. You know, that's not going to happen here. It's going to be a downtown arena. So if they move over to that parking lot, they're not they're not only taking city property, but they're not booting a business or somebody that pays property tax. It's a very important thing that comes up when you talk to economists about this is what happens. You know, you're just you're trading one property tax for another property tax. All that sort of stuff matters when it comes into when you when you factor all this in economists. I'll, I'll say it again. And I'll be writing about this. They would tell you 
the city never gets its money back. The taxpayers never really get their money back. What they, what the taxpayers should hope to get is, do they enjoy this time? Is this a thing they like doing? Because what economists say is that doesn't really generate money. We think of sports as generating money. What an economist would tell you is it reallocates money. So you would spend your entertainment dollar on something. Uh, you're just spending it on the thunder. So maybe you're not spending it on the movies or whatever else. Uh, that makes sense to me, but I, I, I think there's a little bit of pushback there because if the, you know, what if you really love the NBA and you spend your, your dollars in Dallas instead or what, you know, I, I think there is some, there's, there's some pushback to that. I don't disagree with the economists. They know a lot more than I do. Um, but they'll tell you the, the main thing is there is this pride. There is this desire to have a team. And certainly here, you talked about the connection to the city. You know, we all know this. It's well documented that every Thunder player, some of the rookies before they're even drafted, just the rookies who come in to work out, they go to the Memorial Museum, they get this experience, they want to be very connected. And a thing that I think when we talk about the Thunder ownership group and the $50 million, which is really easy to fixate on, I think the other thing that's really important in this agreement is the 25 years. Because, you know, one of the things that David Holt said the other day is like, one thing I can tell you for sure. The people who own the Thunder won't own the Thunder forever. We're mortals. Every team changes hands. It happens. And so the idea of locking in a long-term lease when you have these owners who are sort of civic-minded, who are kind of connected to Oklahoma, the idea that you would build a thing that is worth, and as he has pointed out, and as anybody will tell you, the Paycom Center is not an arena that will get you a long-term lease with any NBA team right now, not the Thunder and not another one. To have that lease, to have that contract sealed where it'd be 25 years from the start of the arena. So they'd stay until the arena is built and 25 years additionally. One, it's a generation more of the Thunder. The Thunder is, is even more of a fixture, but also like that ownership groups that comes in from somewhere else, they can't move the team over that period of time. So it's not just that these owners would be committed to stay there, but somebody else would as well. Yeah. And 25 years, this is something I did look around for, um, which I'm sure you've you've done some mm -hmm. research on this as well, Brett. But, you know, the 25 years looks on the high side. I mean, it's not this is kind of uh, what teams do when they get a new arena. Um, so I thought it was really good to see that. I think I saw some place that, that somebody did a 30 year lease, but they might have Dallas. They yeah, they the might have kept that in before the arena yeah. even opened. I can't remember. But um, yeah, so I mean, 25 to 30 years when you get a new arena is pretty standard. So I was really, I was glad to see that number. And yeah, when you think about 2050 or, you know, some approximation above that, I mean, we're all going to be a lot older yeah, <laughs> at that yeah. point. You know, it's like, wow, you know, you start to think how far that is out there. And just the impact, you mentioned this before, I want to backtrack on it just a second before we talk more about 25 years. But you know, you think about the impact of this team on the city. And I was reminded of that actually this summer by somebody who did not grow up here, that being Kaysen Wallace, the uh, the rookie uh, point guard coming in in this draft class, grew up in Dallas, obviously not far away from Oklahoma City, but with a very good Mavs team when he was a kid. Obviously, some of their best teams were, were in existence when he was growing up. And yet he loved the Thunder. He loved Durant. He loved Westbrook. He played on a team when he was a kid called the Thunder. I mean, you think about the impact here, but then it's, sometimes it takes a reminder from maybe somebody outside to say, hey, these teams impacted me too. So if they had that kind of impact in another NBA city, just think about the kids that were coming up in Oklahoma during yeah. those years and now are coming up again with this second iteration Thunder hopes of, of a contending type team. 
just the connection that exists there. I think sometimes we we lose sight of that because it's how do you quantify that? You right. Know, how do you, that's very touchy feely, but it can't be ignored. It's definitely there. And so I think the idea that you could have kids now and their kids, you know, and who knows how many other generations down the line that will have this team here to have that connection. It's pretty impressive to think about. Yeah. If you get to 45 or 50 years where the team has been there, that's a really established part of your culture. The Thunder already feel that way. 15 years in, it feels like I never knew the city without the Thunder, but it feels weird to think about Oklahoma City without the Thunder. Um, to your point, I remember talking to somebody with the Thunder a few years ago, and they were telling me those the jerseys that said OKC on them. What a big moment that was for them, because for the first however many years it was, they didn't want to put OKC on the jerseys because globally they didn't know if people would know what that was. Um, so they wanted Oklahoma City. And I was wondering, I think probably the way this conversation got started is I was complaining about how clunky Oklahoma City looks on jerseys. Um, and they said that was the thing that that like you have to think about. It's a European game. It's it's an African game. It's growing exponentially in all these different corners of the world. And there was some uncertainty about whether people would even know what this place was. And so Oklahoma City went on those jerseys. And now you can go anywhere in basketball circles and everybody knows OKC is the thunder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's still weird for me to think about. And I know if you talk to David Holt, uh, the mayor, for any length of time, he'll probably tell a story about somewhere he's been and OKC and the Thunder have come up. But it's true. I mean, the the connection that the team has had beyond the borders of Oklahoma, you can sometimes lose sight of that. And, um, you know, if you if you travel anywhere, you you know, it never ceases to amaze me when I'm somewhere totally unexpected and see thunder or a Jersey or, you know, or people, or when you say you're from Oklahoma, people want to talk about the thunder, you know, when you're here, sometimes you think, um, well, you know, Sooners, Cowboys, the college scene, which is obviously great, but that thunder connection, people want to talk about the thunder and it's, it is, it's, it's sort of, you have to sort of step back every once in a while and remember just what a big deal the NBA is beyond the borders. What a big deal this franchise has become beyond the borders, because I think it's definitely a success story. The other thing I think we should talk about relative to an arena is I, you hear some people will say, and a lot of people can say, and by the way, if you think this, this is fine, but I'm going to push back against it. They would say, this is a 20 year old arena and that's fine. 20 year olds, 20 year old arenas are not that old. Um, you don't need what, what more do they need? And I would push back a little bit and say, one, you probably haven't seen a lot of other arenas. If you have, my apologies. But if you've traveled the NBA, you know a little bit about what isn't there in terms of – there's a couple of things. And there's there's some stuff that everybody wants, right? Concourses should be wider because people want wider concourses. They want more options up there. They want more restrooms. Everybody wants all that kind of stuff. That's true in every arena. Square footage-wise, it's the smallest arena in the league, and there is a benefit to having more square footage, not – That's not something you might notice day to day other than those concourses. But in terms of the number of events you can put on, the kinds of events you can put on when you're hosting NCAA tournaments, you need all that space in the bowels for media rooms and all that kind of stuff. That stuff matters. There's also some fan experience stuff that David Holt pointed out to me. And I I know you've heard this as well. This was built a little generically. And at the time in the early 2000s, the idea that if the if the city was going to get anything, um, and Mick Cornett has told me this in an interview before. The idea was they'd get hockey. 
um, if they got a, a franchise at all, it would be hockey. In fact, Mick Cornette told me on the record that he would talk to David Stern and David Stern would kind of be like, I'll work with Gary Bettman. I'll see what I can do, but you're not getting a team. Everybody knows the, the astronomical odds of, you know, Katrina and the availability of dates in the city and all that kind of stuff, the way it aligned, all that stuff had to happen to make this happen. But the idea was that it would be hockey. And what David Holt has told us is that in part, that means it was built as a hockey arena. And that's different in terms of just the orientation of seats that, that hockey seats are more um, aligned uh, toward the goalies. So that's what you're, you're designed to look at. And basketball seats should be a little more angled toward the court. Um, and so that there will be some just some subtle experience upgrades from getting this as well. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, I think if uh, if people think that Paycom Center, as it sits right now, is a long term solution. I mean, when you're talking about arenas that have been used for a long time, it's because they are iconic. I mean, the Madison Square yeah. Gardens. And remember, Madison Square Garden just underwent a $1 billion <laughs> renovation. They replaced every seat, the whole bowl, everything about the garden is different than it was 10 years ago. I mean, it, and I, I referenced this in a, a piece I, I did. I talked to Juan Guerra, who is a Thunder fan extreme. He's been to every home Thunder game. He has seen that arena from almost every angle as a fan, but he, he goes to away games occasionally and he told me, and I didn't actually know this during that renovation, Brett, you may have seen it if, at the garden, but they put up a sky bridge, which yeah. is basically like a suspended seating area with like bar stools at the front, which frankly, as somebody who's a little scared of heights, I'm yep. thinking, nope, not for me. You can but see it from the media seats. And I find it terrifying just to even look at from the, because the media seats are pretty high up there. Please keep the media seats at the new arena. Thunder. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> something not that doesn't give us the fear of falling yeah. out of the press box. But I mean, so the older arenas that exist, a lot of them are historic. I mean, you're, you're talking about Boston, you're talking about Philly's about to get a new arena for crying out loud. I mean, we're not talking about some of the, some of these places that have had historic arenas, they're still moving to newer places. So it, it's, it's part of the way that it goes because they need more revenue streams. I know people, when you walk in as a fan, it's really easy to walk in, go to your seat, maybe not see what's the problem here. You know, I got a good seat. Yep. This looks like a fine arena. I can see the game. I can see the players. I got the scoreboard. Everything looks pretty good from here. But when you start talking about revenue streams and suites and signage and uh, just all of the things that go into providing for a team, it has to be a lot of space. And Brett, I mean, we haven't talked about this, and this probably takes us off in a tangent that neither of us are ready to talk about, but the Thunder does not make a lot of money from its TV deal, its local yeah. TV deal. And you talk about these these teams in Miami, New York, LA, they're making a gazillion dollars off of their TV deal. The Thunder's not going to do that because it's of the market size. So one of the things that they have to find to sort of supplement and help with that is in arena. And it just, it's the thing that drove the Sonics out of Seattle. They had an arena that didn't have enough revenue streams. So we need to learn a lesson. Yeah. This franchise moved because its arena was inadequate. It came here, yes, with, a, with an arena that long-term would not be adequate, but now's the time for Oklahoma City to give it an adequate arena moving forward. And that's what's on the ballot with, with this new arena. Yeah, I think that's just so important to get to a point where, again, I, I think the most important piece of this from the Thunder's perspective 
if you want to say they should throw in more money, that's cool. But I, I'm not going to push back against that idea at all. But I think the longevity piece is the most important piece from their end. And you just, to get that longevity, and, and Mayor Holt said the other day, like, I don't want to do this again. Nobody should have to do this in 10 years or 15 years, or whatever. The 25-year lease is really important. But I think that's the thing is, like, you've just got to have the arena if you want to have the team secured for a long period of time where you don't have to worry about being Seattle or, you know, uh, Sacramento for years, there was flirtation. Are they going to go to Anaheim? Are they going to go to, are they going to go to Seattle? You know, it was always something or other. Vegas is always going to come up as this happens. And so um, I, I do think it's harsh, but it is a, a cost of business in the NBA situation to say, like, if you want to keep the team again, it's not, it's not Brooklyn. They're not leaving, you know, like they, they got it made there. The, the as you said, the TV contracts for the Lakers and Knicks are astronomical. They're not leaving those places. Um, and so a lot of cities want what Oklahoma City has. A lot of cities want the NBA. There are a bunch of market, media market sizes, not city sizes, but media market sizes that don't have an NBA team that either have an arena or are willing to build one. And so you just have to play some defense against uh, the other cities in the country if you want to hold on to the team. And you know, I, I, I can't tell anybody how to vote. Vote how you want to vote. Um, but this is the plan. This is the plan they're laying out. And as Mayor Holt said, there really isn't a plan B. And we see what happens if that vote doesn't pass. But history tells us the odds are really strong that the vote is going to go through. Well, and I think you made a good point about the, this arena. You know, this arena was was built not with the NBA as, I mean, was it a thought? Yes, but really only in a few minds here in Oklahoma City. Because the reality was, if you went to NBA headquarters, there was never a thought that Oklahoma City was a reasonable option for an NBA team. It just wasn't. And, and it really did take the Hornets coming here, test driving Oklahoma City for two years, for the NBA to see that this was a viable option. That as, as a market, a team could be here. And so when you know the Sonics relocated, it was agreed to, you know, had that not happened, had the Sonics tried to relocate here without that test drive, I'm not sure that the owner, the uh, the board of uh, governors, directors, whatever they're called for the NBA, all the owners, essentially, I don't know if they would have agreed to it because I don't know that they would have seen that it could work. You know, I don't think that that was a possibility. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think this was, this was seen as maybe an NHL market at best, um, and that was how the arena was built. It was built bare bones. Um, so we've had an NBA team for all this time. We don't have an NBA arena. And you're right, Brett, what you said earlier, if you go to a few other NBA arenas and you feel how it feels in that arena, it feels different than Paycom. And Paycom has got, a, when it when it gets going, it's a great vibe. But Absolutely. It's, just, it's, it's not just about that. It's about other things. And so Oklahoma City has never has never had that people there's there's thousands of people who've been to thunder games and really have not experienced that in a true nba arena and it's going to be so fun to see that happen one day yeah and it, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the chase center the the palatial warriors go, go to indiana and feel how that place feels like a basket it feels like an indiana basketball like it feels like a a really big high school field house, you know? I don't know what the Oklahoma vibe is, but I hope they find it if they're building this arena, that they find something that makes it feel uniquely Oklahoma and makes it feel like an NBA arena and gives it that sort of uh, 
vibe, that sort of feel. Um, we'll talk a ton more about this moving forward. There's so many arena stories that are going to come out of this. I have been talking to economists this week. That will be a story um, that you'll be able to read at Sellout Crowd. We'll have a whole bunch more coverage and a whole bunch more conversations. But for now, Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. Sure. And we'll talk to you guys next week.